Our Father in Heaven is continually coming to us and loving us every moment. There's always movement on his part, even right now at this moment. He is moving towards you. Uh, his presence is on you. Uh, his love is coming to you. That's just a theological fact that he's always coming to us. Uh, it's our responsiveness that we have to develop. And then if we find out that we have certain difficulties in our life, we have to sort of make those adjustments. And one of the major adjustments, major things that we often have to work with in our process of coming to know God the Father and his love is looking at our historical relationship with our natural father. That probably, more than anything else in our life, affects our perception of God as father and uh, our early experiences of love or lack of love and how that affects us at the core of our being. And so we know the Father's coming to us, and as we sort of go through this morning's information, we learn uh, about adjustments that we can make that help us to come to experience more of his love. And last night I shared a little bit about my relationship with my father, and uh, my father was a dad who was there. Uh, he, was, he was there for me. Uh, he, he didn't express uh, the kind of love that I was looking for. He didn't really hug me or tell me he loved me. And he, he, he was what I would call a performance-oriented father. If I performed well, I would get love. And if I didn't, some, I'd experience rejection. And usually that rejection was something I could feel. It was sharp, and it was identifiable. And when I came to experience the father's love, uh, he spoke to me very specifically at the point of my injury. He said, you can never fail in my sight. Because the injury in my life was I was afraid of failing to perform well for my dad because I, I would experience some kind of pain. So that, that was sort of the, uh, the issue of my life. Now, all of us have different types of fathers, and we're all built differently inside. And we have different ways of responding to fathers. You can have a father in a family and have five children, and each one of them... <laughs> Will, will have a different, unique relationship with that father. For example, if the, you know, usually the, the oldest child, uh, you know, is the great experiment. And as the other, as the siblings watch uh, how father treats them, they, they can change their, the way they uh, relate so that it doesn't happen to them. The father isn't any different, but they've learned how to adjust differently. And when they go to de dealing with the fathers in their life, it looks different, even though they're in the same family. So all of us are different. And as my, my wife mentioned last night, we are different. I, I guess we're sort of like salt and pepper, Janet and I. You know, uh, what did last night was brought up that I'm the word and she's the spirit. And I don't know if that's the best way of putting it. But it whenever you want to uh, use terms of... Uh, uh, you know, being different. My wife and I are very different. And we, we've had different processes in coming to know the Father's love. And it, it comes because we're different kinds of people and we had very different kinds of fathers. And so I'd like uh, to reintroduce my wife, Janet, and she's going to share with us this morning 
about her relationship with her dad. Janet, bring the spirit with you. Good morning. Uh, I wanted to tell you, as if you were here last night, I assume you were, and you heard Eddie's testimony, um, he is very, uh, very aware of what's going on, of, of a process that he may be going through, and he has real dramatic testimonies of the inbreaking of the Father's love. And these things come very powerfully um, in these big moments. And, uh, and so he's always very aware. In fact, he can tell you what's going on inside him uh, hour to hour and uh, minute to minute, and sometimes does. But um, I'm what you call a stuffer. And by that, I mean I just go along, and I'm, I'm not really very aware of what's going on inside me or what's happening to me. And I have always been this way from early on. I've, uh, I just kind of, everything just kind of comes my way and falls down inside me and layers up. And uh, I think that that happens short term, and but there's the long term where this core is developed inside you of who you are, and you d but you don't really know what's there. And we found this in counseling uh, in in our church over the years that we would have um, people come in for counseling, and they would have real clear uh, histories, like they could say, I was abused and I was treated this way and these events happened in my life and no wonder I'm having these kinds of problems today. And they had all these really um, things that they could point to and say, I have this kind of a life. We yelled, we expressed, we hurt each other. But then there'd be other people and those people were easier to minister to than the stuffers who would come in and they'd say, I don't know what happened to me. I can't, I don't have any, I wasn't abused, I wasn't um, this or that, I can't, I don't have any big horrendous thing to point to. And, and it's real hard for them to get in touch with their emotions. And I'm in that second category. It's hard for me to get in touch with my emotions sometimes and understand what, what's behind them. It takes me a while longer. And so it's true with the Father's love. It's taken me a while longer to process this message and uh, to be able to receive the Father's love. I had some barriers that I didn't know I had that were hindering me. And so I'm going to tell you about my father and the process and the way that it worked in me because there may be some of you out there that are more like me. First of all, my dad passed away about uh, 14 years ago, and uh, that was an amazing time of getting in touch with uh, the father that he'd been to me. And you know, when uh, somebody passes away, sometimes the things you remember right away are all the wonderful things. All the good memories start flooding back, and you get together as a family, and you share all the stories. And I can tell you, uh, th those were the first things that came back to me concerning my father. Um, my father was a musician, a really talented musician. Uh, I grew up sitting next to him on the piano bench sometimes. And we sing show tunes, all the Rogers and Hammerstein and all, well, some of you 
I don't know how old are you here, but uh, <laughs> um, all those those kinds of things. He played in all the big bands, clarinet and saxophone, and and then uh, after he married my mom and had a family, uh, he made his living playing the piano in piano bars at night. And the result of that was that he was gone every night till two or three in the morning. And so I grew up with a father that wasn't there I a lot of the times. Um, then he would have a second job during the day. Now my dad also had another wonderful quality in that he had an incredible sense of humor, a dry sense of humor. And so whenever my dad was there, he was brilliant and he was the uh, center of everything. He was the life of the party and you just uh, loved being with him. But it created a hunger and a desire to be with him too. The things that were harder to get in touch with and took me more time was the fact that my dad was uh, a serious alcoholic. Now, he wasn't uh, an abusive alcoholic or a violent alcoholic. He just would disappear. He would just not come home. Um, and when he was home, he would disappear inside himself. Sometimes he would disappear into some other room in the house, and we were told to leave him alone and not to bother him. I started to get in touch with uh, how much he wasn't there for me. He either physically wasn't there, sometimes for days at a time, without explanation, or emotionally was rarely there, except when he was on. And when he was on and when he was present, it was wonderful. Uh, being a musician and making your living that way uh, can cause some, some difficulties. And the difficulties in our family was my dad was a very poor provider. He would try day jobs and they didn't go well. And being a musician just doesn't pay that well in these circumstances. So the wolf was always at the door. And uh, like any young child, I can hear those discussions and those tears through the walls when your mom and dad are talking about how are we going to pay the bills, how are we going to buy the groceries, um, will they come and take the car, oh, you know, all those discussions. And you're little and you just hear those things. But they just, for a person like me, I would never turn and ask my parents about those things. It just would go down inside me. My father's not there, the wolf's at the door, there's no provision. And so what it set up inside me is this core of abandonment. And, uh, but no kid can say, oh, look, I have a core of abandonment setting up inside me. You don't. You just, you just go along, you know. And you begin to live life and respond to things in life out of that core of abandonment without even realizing it or understanding it. But it's driving you, and it's uh, having an effect on all the areas of your life. And it's a very vulnerable situation. But as I said, I grew up, wonderfully found the Lord, uh, began to grow in him. And when Eddie began to discover and to experience the Father's love and to teach and preach on it, I was all for it. Oh, what a wonderful message, you know. And I could say, oh, I can feel the Lord in this, and it's great. But I'm not, I just can't feel the Father's love. I just can't quite get in touch with it. But I was processing it mentally, but I couldn't get there. And I, I looked around, I saw people having amazing experiences, and I just felt like I was really behind. 
Now, what happened is that God allowed sovereignly uh, some, uh, a series of events that helped me break through. And that's what I want to share with you right now. And this happened about the time my dad was stricken with cancer and was dying. He was uh, almost 80 years old. And um, he had uh, stopped drinking right after Eddie and I got married. He uh, went to AA and they told him to find his higher power. And then at the same time, Eddie and I got saved. And so we were right there, and we got to lead my dad to the Lord. And we gave him the little Four Spiritual Laws booklet, and he put it in his pocket. And every morning he would take it out and read the sinner's prayer. And um, <laughs> he, uh, he stopped drinking altogether and uh, became a wonderful grandfather to our children in the years to come and uh, became a landscaper and started to make a really nice living. <laughs> And uh, all of that changed, but, and so it was wonderful for me, but it wasn't the home I grew up in. Now, uh, my dad went on, in fact, to play the piano in the little, uh, the little community church, and uh, he used to play show tunes during communion. And when they needed, like, up, up worship music, he would do, like, I'm going to watch that man ride out of my hair. And <laughs> so <laughs> he, um, and they loved him, and they just, uh, you know, let him, let him go for it. And I think Jesus loved that uh, special worship music, too. <laughs> and, um, but when he was, uh, as he was uh, getting sicker and sicker, and we knew that we were going to lose him, you know, this stuff starts to percolate inside you, and you, you don't even know what's going on. He reached the point where he got very weak, and he uh, was, it was very close to the end, and one night, about 11 o'clock at night, the phone rang, and it was the, uh, the nurse from the hospital where he was at, and she said, uh, Mr. Noble wants to talk to, that's my dad, wants to talk to Ed, Eddie. And so she helped him, and he got on the phone. And although my dad had become a Christian, he hadn't grown a lot, uh, didn't have a lot of knowledge or understanding. And uh, the reason he was calling Eddie was he was finally in touch with the fact, or starting to get in touch with the fact that he was um, probably not going to be leaving that hospital alive. And he was suddenly uh, very afraid. And he called and he wanted to talk to Eddie because he really wanted to know, what's going to happen to me? Where am I going? And Eddie was able to uh, share with him how wonderful it was going to be, where he was going, how, what was going to happen. He was able to pray with him and comfort him. And it was a really precious uh, moment. But before they uh, hung up, Eddie said something to him. He said, um, Bob, before you go, though, uh, you need to bless Janet. You've never really done that. And so uh, I didn't know about that, but I went to the hospital the next day to be with my mom and my dad, and my sister was there. And my dad uh, motioned to me to come over to the bed, and he said, tell your mom and sister to leave for a minute. Now, that was very unusual. And so uh, I did, and then he called me over to the bed, and he put his hand around my neck and pulled me close, 
and he started to bless me. And it was a very precious moment for us, and he prayed his best blessing prayer, which I don't think he's a, he ever prayed a blessing prayer before, so he just prayed, Dear God, bless Janet. Help her to do all the miracles in the Bible. <laughs> and he went on everything he could think of that would uh, comprise a blessing, and it, it had a childlike quality, and it was, it was a wonderful moment. It was a gift from God to me between my dad and I. And so I sort of uh, floated out of there just so warmed by that blessing, thinking, well, that gives me such wonderful closure. That just takes care of everything. But it doesn't really work that way. As wonderful of, as that was, that core is there, but it's starting to warm up. Eddie always says we have like a frozen core in us, and the events of life tend to heat them up, and they start to percolate, and pretty soon they're going to come out. Well, the, the next days were really uh, full of a lot of events, um, and my dad passed away shortly after that, and there was my mother, and I needed to be the big sister and help her and support her. So she came to me, and she wanted to encourage me, so she said, Dear I just want to tell you, you don't need to worry at all. I only have to work full-time till I'm 75, and I'll have all our debts paid off. And this went, dropped right down inside me on top of that stuff. And um, I said, oh, that's nice, Mom. Just whoosh, and in, you know. Then she said, oh, and we didn't make any arrangements for your father, so we have to go to the cemetery and pick out his plot. And so I've never done anything like that before. And she says, and by the way, I decided we'll pick out a double plot, one so that I can go there too. And I said, oh, all right. So <laughs> we went to the cemetery, this little country cemetery, and a man met us there with a map. He gave me the map. It was drizzling. We had our umbrella. I had my mom tucked under one arm and our map. And he just set us loose, and we went to look for a spot for my dad and my mom. And so I put on my real estate salesman hat, and I went and I started showing my mom the different spots and what the uh, advantages of them were, like this one, Mom, look, it has a view. <laughs> and then, then I would take her over, we'd follow the map, I'd say, oh, look at this one, it's under a tree, and there's a bench here. I said, why, we could come here and sit on the bench and look at you. I said, I was an out-of-body experience. I didn't know what I was doing. And um, my mom started to look around, and there's all these markers on the ground under the tree, and she says, oh, look. I said, what? And she says, there's some of your dad's friends. I said, really? She's dad's friends. Are they already here? I said, this is the spot. And uh, so the shuffleboard team was waiting. They were there. And um, I noticed something, not on a real conscious level, but I noticed the markers. And they would have the last name of the family. Then they would have the man's name, the year he was born, and the year he died. Then they would have the wife's name and the year she was born, and then it was blank. And I looked at that, and I remember thinking, Oh, look at that. Isn't that nice? It's all ready for her. All she has to do is die. 
And that went inside me someplace and dropped on top of this heap. We got through those days, comforted my mother, and then Addie and I decided, after all that we'd been through, we needed to get away to a, for a quiet, romantic weekend, get back in touch with each other. So we went to the beautiful seaside resort called La Jolla in California. And we went to this cute little bed and breakfast hotel thing. And, um, and the first night we got there, Eddie did a thing that he did mostly early on in our marriage that was, used to be so upsetting to me. And that is, is that he would disappear inside himself. And uh, it just was such a strange emotional abandonment when he'd do that. And uh, when we were first married, it was so upsetting, and we'd have to get in a big fight in order to, to get him to snap out of it because it was so uh, threatening to me or something. Well, anyway, after you're married for years, y you know, if he would do that later, I would just say, oh, fine, whatever, let me know when you're back. And um, he stopped doing it after a while. <laughs> but <laughs> for some reason... This was the night he chose to do that. This night in La Jolla on Friday night, shortly after all these events had taken place, and he just was gone. And um, I remember, I couldn't believe that he would do that that night, and I started to get absolutely furious with him, all out of proportion. I was just bubbling inside. I was so angry with him, but I kept a lid on, we got through the evening, went out to breakfast the next morning. I was sitting down at this cute little cottage breakfast restaurant place, and we were out in the patio, sitting there, and all of a sudden, the lid starts to come off. But I still don't, I do not understand what's in there. So I just know I'm really mad at him. I feel really bad, so it's his fault. So I looked at him and I said, first of all, if you really loved me, you would have fixed the garage door opener. <laughs> and another thing, you're not spending enough time at home with the boys. And another thing, you just come in and out and use the and I ha house like a pit stop, and off you go to a meeting. And then this list started to grow of all his sins and all the things that he was doing wrong. And um, I started to get more and more upset, and I started to get tears in my eyes, and my voice was getting louder. People were starting to look at us. And finally, I just threw the napkin on the table, and I said, I've got to get out of here. And I just walked up and left him there. I've never done that in all those years, anything like that. He followed me back to the hotel room, and I was just beside myself. And he said, um, he, I, I got in the hotel room ahead of him, and then he came in very carefully and quietly. And he came up to me, and he said, he says, is it possible that something else is actually bothering you. <laughs> and you know, this is the mercy of God, because for someone like me, who had no clue what was really going on, in God's mercy, it just kind of started coming up and out, bypassing my brain. And I just turned to him, and I just said, yes, listen. I said, first of all, 
nobody is going to put my name on a tombstone until I am dead. <laughs> and he said, okay. <laughs> and I said, and another thing, as soon as we get home, we are going to up your life insurance. <laughs> and he started to get a little nervous, and he said, okay. And I said, and another thing, we have to pick out our burial sites right away. And I st I'm starting to cry so that our children don't have to do that. And he said, okay, but what is this about? What's really going on? And I, I said, listen, you don't understand. I have to get ready. You're all going to leave me, and I'm going to be all alone. And I don't want to have to worry about anything but playing with my grandchildren. See, I had to get ready because ultimately there was a belief deep down inside me that I would be abandoned in the end and left alone. I saw that in my mother's situation. I saw that as I was growing up. And it was in there, and I didn't even know it. As soon as I said that, Eddie looked at me, and he said, but, you know, even if we did all go, he said, don't you know your father loves you and that he said he would never leave you or forsake you? I said, I know that in my head, but I don't, I don't know it down here in my heart, I guess. And I just began to cry, and he said, Janet, don't you know that your heavenly father is not like your earthly father? Don't you know that he loves you and is able to provide for you, and he will never leave you or abandon you? And that's when this core belief that I had finally was being exposed. I believed ultimately that God would abandon me. I had all the guilt that was necessary to believe I was worthy of being abandoned. That comes with the package. That gets set up early on. And there's that belief, in the end, you will be all alone. As I cried, some of these tears were starting to heal me, but we had some business to do. Eddie came over to me and began to redeem himself. And he said, let's pray together. He said, you need to forgive your dad. And I knew it was true. I knew enough in my head to know that this was a moment for me. I needed to forgive my dad for abandoning me all throughout my childhood, for not being there, for not being a strong provider. And I did that with Eddie. I told him, I forgive you. And there were some specific things. And then um, I did something else, and I said, him, Father, speaking to God the Father, I said, Forgive me for believing lies about you. Forgive me for believing that you were like my dad in these respects. You have to understand, I still loved my dad. But I had to do this business. And I said, forgive me for believing you were like that. As I prayed these things, the tears started to flow and the healing started to come. And this thing that had been frozen in me for so long started to just come up and out. And you know,
the feelings come with it. There's the pain that you cry out, but there's the relief that comes with it, and then the love starts to come in. See, as the barriers are removing, and there's that, that tremendous power of forgiveness that removes them, then the Father's love starts to come in and begin that tremendous process of healing. That was the key moment for me when I would call that was my, the big inbreaking of the Father's love. But I couldn't get there. I sat listening to the teaching on it. I couldn't quite get there. I couldn't get in touch with it. The Holy Spirit helped me. God allowed through these circumstances the moment that I needed. I say this for two things, to know that uh, you may be that kind of person. What you're hearing here this weekend may be a, a preparation for you, may give you the tools, and then there may be a time when circumstances allow you to have uh, a breakthrough. But it's important either way, whether you have your breakthrough this weekend or not, that you, um, that you come to understand so that you can really uh, take advantage of something that might uh, give you an opportunity. And also, that if you're that kind of person, this could be for you this weekend, a time when you could break through to the Father's love. And the key for you may be forgiveness. You may need to forgive your earthly father so that he is not, and his image is not between you, standing between you and God the Father. To forgive him does not mean you have to not love him or you, that you're being disloyal to him. It means you're saying, I need to connect directly to God the Father and who he really is with no one standing between. And the way you do that so often is through forgiveness. It's a wonderful freeing thing, but it's also very powerful in helping us to move forward in experiencing the Father's love. Well, I'd like to spend a little time talking more about restoring the Father relationship, and uh, then we'll have another ministry time uh, when I'm done. And so, once again, we're all in process of growing in our relationship with the Father. And as you, as you saw last night, you know, we, we, just, we just began to articulate the fact that we have a Father who loves us, and we saw the way he loved Jesus, and that if we believe in Jesus, we can move into that position to receive that same kind of love. And then this morning, we, we began to talk about how our relationship with our natural fathers affects our ability to relate to God as Father. And just in Janet's testimony, you can see how, how many of us were, were touched and, and helped us realize that uh, there was something in our life that was affecting receiving that love. And it, it may have come from a father who abandoned us in a physical or emotional way. And the moment we get in touch with that, uh, then the father's love visits what we're in touch with. 
And as, as we cooperate with the process, that love increases. And you saw that happen just in a moment. Just For example, just raise your hand if you felt just in the last 15 minutes or so, you, you sort of grew in your experience of the Father's love a little bit more. You just raise your hand. See, that's, that's part of the process that happened. And that process will continue. And I'd like to give us just some more information to understand the process that we're in and the process that continues. Because what I found is that specifically in this area of addressing our relationships with our fathers, it's not just a one-time thing. Our relationships with our fathers so deeply affect the early development of our life that we find that in our process of growing in the Father's love, we sort of have to move through various layers, various issues with our, with our fathers until we get to the point where we sort of process what I would call the father issues of our life. Now, these father issues have been around for a long time. I like this quote from Martin Luther. He says, I have difficulty praying the Lord's Prayer because whenever I say our father, I think of my own father who was hard, unyielding, and relentless. I cannot help but think of God that way. Now, this is Martin Luther in the 1500s, the great theologian reformer, and he said that he had a father issue in his life. That when he tried to relate to God as his father in praying the Lord's Prayer, his relationship with his dad would always affect it. So he had to deal with it. And it's been around for a long time. So we want to speak about recognizing father issues in our life. And it begins with our understanding of the father of lies. Satan is called the father of lies. And I find that an interesting title. Because one of the things he wants to lie about most is the nature of God our Father. And he wants to sort of perpetuate a lie that we don't even have, we don't even have God. Uh, we don't have uh, God who is a father. And we certainly don't have a father who loves us. So he seeks to build barriers to keep us from experiencing the Father's love. And he does this through working through the fallen nature of man to distort the image of God as a loving father. This is the way, see, we have an enemy who wants to keep us from many things, wants to keep us from ever knowing Jesus. He wants to keep us from knowing the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to keep us from knowing God, our Father, and how much he loves us. How is he going to uh, perpetuate that lie? Well, he has his, his access to the human race through the fallen nature of man. And as we'll see in a moment, all natural earthly fathers are also sinful men. They're broken. None of them are perfect as, as men or as fathers. And he will work through the fallen nature of natural fathers, through their own brokenness, their own sinfulness, in order to try to perpetuate a lie about who God the Father is. And so we need to understand that all of us have to deal with this. The enemy trying to perpetuate a lie about who God the Father is, working through the brokenness of our natural fathers. Now Jesus realized that this was a problem. And in Luke chapter 11, Jesus teaches on prayer. Prayer. 
and he teaches the Lord's Prayer. In Luke's version, it simply is, is taught this way. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus gives the classic model of prayer. And notice that he starts the prayer with the word Father. And he knows that our perception of Father will influence all the way we interpret that prayer. So he wants his disciples to know that the Father that they pray to is a loving, merciful, gracious Father who is good and will give them good things. So he wants them to pray knowing they're loved and expecting good things. But he knows that they have a problem with their natural fathers, that there's a distortion and it has to be corrected in order for them to fully receive the benefits of God through prayer. And so in verse 11, he addresses this issue. Which of you fathers, and he's speaking about natural earthly fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? And he's saying, any father with just a certain amount of goodness would certainly give a fish and not a snake. And he's, he's now appealing to, you know, the basic goodness that should be seen in a father. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Verse 13, if you then, natural earthly fathers, though you are evil, and that word means marred by sin, as one commentator says, though you represent a fallen fatherhood, know how to give good gifts to your children. There's still this much goodness in you, even though you're fallen. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And he says this, if you can see this much goodness in a natural earthly father, then look through that perception of goodness in a father. And as you look through it, you can look beyond to the nature of God, your father, who is, who is good, but much more so. So he, he's saying whatever good you can see in a natural father, that helps you to see how good your father is in heaven and realize he's much better than that. That's the positive aspect. But it works in the inverse. And that is the negative part of being fallen as a father. If you look through the fallen part, the negative part, then when you look through that broken aspect of perception, you will see that same negative image cast on God the Father. And that's the problem that has to be removed. The good in a natural father can help in discovering the Father's love. Distortions of our perception of the Heavenly Father due to the flaws sin has produced in earthly fathers create prominent barriers to experiencing the fullness of the Father's love. I like the way Michael Phillip puts it in his book on God the Father, said the common fallacy is to equate the fatherhood of one's earthly father with an accurate representation of God's heavenly fatherhood. Though not intentionally or even consciously, we draw this equal sign in our mistaken equation at a deep subconscious level very, very early in life. 
Now, I look at it like this, in this area of father issues. Father images that Jesus is talking about and Michael Phillips is talking about is really our mental perception. It's the way we see it in our mind. And it's like when we're very early, very early in our childhood, when we have our first, you know, relationship with Father, we have lenses put on, Father perception lenses, like glasses put on us, just like this. And that's what we see Father to be. And like he says, it, it's subconscious and put on at a very early part of our psychological development. And when we grow up, these glasses are still there. And we become a Christian, we begin to relate to God, we want to see him as Father, and we look through those, those glasses that are deeply placed within us. And whatever is clear helps us to see the goodness of God. Whatever cracks there are through the distortion of sins, we, that distorts our, our vision of God. And the distortions vary. They can be like, come like a fine line crack where there's a subtle performance orientation from the Father. You need to do this to get my love. And then you do it. <laughs> and then you get the love. You experience love, but subtly, from that point on, you believe you have to work to get it. Now, an extreme is, for example, what happens if you were abandoned at birth? You don't even know who your natural father is. That's not just a hairline crack. It's like the glasses are darkened, and you see nothing. And when you go to look at God as Father, he's not even there. You can't even begin to relate to God as a father because you have no father image. And see, there can be everything in between. And so these are there. And in recognizing father issues, we have to see if we have a distortion. Because if we have a distortion, these lenses have to be removed. And as Janet was saying, as I'll tell you in a moment, we do that by recognizing it and then forgiving our fathers for that distortion. And when we forgive them, at that point, the redemptive blood of Jesus can be applied to these lenses and removed. It is a spiritual transaction. Then all of a sudden, we can see clearly who God is as our father. Now, there's another aspect of the father issue, and this is not so much the mental issue. It is the emotional issue. And I would call this father wounds. Because it's not just the mental distortion that can create a problem. There can be emotional wounds that occurred with our fathers, and those create a wound that needs to be healed in our life. John Eldridge, in his book Wild at Heart, makes this statement. Every boy on his journey to become a man, takes an arrow in the center of his heart. Every man carries a wound, and the wound is nearly always given by his father. There are other wounds. But nearly always, the wound comes from the father. And 
It's not just in the case of every little boy. It's also in the case of every little girl. And I think that these wounds, I've, I've come to believe that when we, when we try to take a look at the, the time of life that we're most sensitive, it's probably about the time we are three or four. Because prior to being three or four, we have a lot of our emotional issues with our mother. But this shifts when we're three or four, we begin to get in the place of looking for this love from our fathers. And uh, that's when the wounding can take place. And a year ago or so, I said, what are my first memories of my dad? And they, the first memories that I could recall that I was in touch with occurred when I was about four years old. And I have two clear ones. One is positive, and one is negative. And the positive one was my dad had moved uh, to Southern California, and, and we lived right near the beach. And I, when I was a little boy, three or four, I can remember distinctly him taking me to the beach, walking out into the ocean, out into the surf line, and putting me up on his shoulders, and, and going out to where we were, he was about waist deep, and the waves are breaking on his chest. And, he's, and I'm sitting safe and secure up on his shoulders in the middle of the ocean, just loving it. And I'm there, my dad is there for me, strong, supporting, and, and introducing me to the ocean. A wonderful, vivid memory. And that, my dad was like that in those ways, strong and there, always there for me to support me. And that had a profound effect on my relationship with God. I've, I've never doubted that God is there, or he's strong, or he'll provide for me. Never doubted that aspect of God, my father. And it had a, a profound influence on me because, you know, it wasn't many years after that that I began to be a surfer, and I'm still a surfer. I'm still out there three or four times every week. Tim says amen to that. The other memory is not so pleasant. Once again, three or four years old, and my dad was uh, built homes, he's uh, a real estate, real estate speculator, and he had built a home, a house himself, we were living in and you know we were gonna sell it. And I remember it was a, a beautiful home, it had brand new yellow stucco on the outside, and I was sitting in the backyard, you know, in spring, and uh, the grass would grow outside of our yard, you know, in these beautiful, you know, like head-high uh, clumps. And I would go over there and as a little boy, and I just loved picking up those, you know, those uh, handful of grass and pulling it out and had this clump of mud at the bottom. You know, and I would take it and I was just sort of thrilled. I'd throw it and hit that yellow stucco and it would stick. And then it would fall and it would leave that, that mark there. But I was fascinated by it. So I was just doing it, you know, you know, throughout the morning and having a great time. And then all of a sudden, my dad came home. And he came out in the back, and he saw all those spots on the yellow stucco, stucco wall. And he saw me smiling, holding the thing, <laughs> the evidence in my hand. And he didn't say a word to me. He just came over to me, and he picked me up by the back of my neck, you know, in the seat of my pants, and walked me over to that wall. And he just rammed my head right into that wall. 
And I can still remember what it felt like to have my head hit that stucco. And then he just sat me down and he said, don't you ever do that again. Now, I realized that at that moment, I was very alone. And I was very afraid of my dad of ever doing anything wrong. And that's why when it came to pitching in baseball games, I was afraid to lose. I had to do it right. That affected my relationship with God, like I said last night. Those are two most vivid memories that affected my life deeply. And I believe that all of us have good memories that helped us, and some of us have painful memories that hurt us. And so many people have experienced some kind of wounding with their dads, like, like even uh, John Eldred says that it's, it's important for us to under, understand how these wounds develop because in your life you sort of have to get healing for these wounds. And sometimes the wound is just a big blur. But actually these wounds develop in a very, you know, uh, logical way. And you have to dismantle them in the same way. You see, the failures of father figures to love us in word and action can cause these wounds in our life. And these failures can come through acts of commission, something that painful it's done by our father, or omission, something that isn't done. And this, Janda and I are classic in this. When my dad did that thing in the wall, that was a sin of commission against me. He wasn't treating me like my father in heaven would. It wasn't loving. It was, it was sort of mean. That never happened to Janet. Hers was that dull wound of omission, of her father just not being there. You know, well, there's a term we use for that. It's like being nothing by your father. He's not home. He's self-absorbed. Nothing comes. That creates a wound. And I've come to believe over the years that the wounds are equally painful. But one is harder to get in touch with than the other. But that's where the original wound takes place. Could be through omission or commission. But that's sort of way back there. And we tend to move towards the core problems from the surface down. <laughs> but we have to understand the way they develop. So it starts with a wound. The wound's at the bottom of the the core of it. These failures, these things that happen, cause emotional wounds. And emotional wounds such as rejection, being rejected is an emotional wound. Abandonment, like Janet said, is, is an emotional wound. But the deepest wound is loneliness. It took me a long time to put my finger on that. The deepest wound is, is experiencing loneliness with our fathers. And that hurts to be alone. Rejection and abandonment are part of what compounds that wound. Now, once we're wounded like that, there are other things that emerge out of it. And they're really secondary. But they're often the things that we get in touch with sooner. Fear emerges out of the wound. Fear is not a primary wound. It's not a primary emotion. It's a secondary one. Having been wounded, then we begin to be fearful. 
So see, if you have a fear problem, an insecurity problem, that is not the core issue. The issue is what, what caused you to become fearful. It's the same way with false guilt or shame. When something happens to you that it wasn't your fault, you know, for example, even the subtlety of being abandoned, your father doesn't come to you to love you. What happens to a young person, they come to the conclusion, why didn't he come? Why didn't he love me? Why did he leave? It must have been my fault. That's false guilt. That's a, that is something that compounds the problem. Something happens to them that's not fair. They, they feel shamed about it because of something that was done or not done. But a primary thing that comes out of it is anger. When we are wounded, in one way or another, abandoned or rejected, it's unfair. And we resent it because we've been hurt unfairly. And that can turn to bitterness, and that can turn to anger. And sometimes, when you first get in touch with the fact that you have a wound, the first emotion you get in touch with is anger. Like Janet. The wound in her life was abandonment. But what was the emotion she first felt? Anger towards me. How could anyone be angry at me? I'm only kidding. Lots of reasons to be angry at me. But see, anger was the was had come built up out of this wound, and she started getting in touch with it. Whenever you start getting in touch with anger, that's good. In the sense, it'll help you realize that there's a wound. Wherever there is heat, there is a primary hurt. And sometimes, even in a conference like this, the first thing you get in touch with is anger. You say, I'm coming to a Father Loves You conference, and I feel mad. I'm angry. <laughs> I've had people at the end of conferences saying, I did everything you said, and I did not feel love. In fact, I'm mad, and I'm saying, that's good. But you can see, they're just starting to get in touch with their emotions. They just have to be directed back to the issue. Unresolved injury and unforgiveness can result in spiritual strongholds resistant to change. This is where a stronghold comes from. We can have spiritual strongholds in our life of fear and guilt, you know, uh, strongholds of bitterness in our life because these things have not been resolved for a long time. And if they're not resolved for a long time, the enemy gets in there and he fortifies them. So you can have a person who has a, has a stronghold of abandonment, stronghold of rejection, stronghold of these things. And, but you can see that they, they're just compounded. That's why when you're in situations where, where people have issues that need deep inner healing or even deliverance, it's like something I learned a long time ago. The demon is never the issue. The issue is the issue. There's an underlying issue that's down there, and that is the issue. In fact, the way I discovered the Father's love in ministry was discovering that so many times demonic strongholds were rooted in father injury. These wounds that get compounded into strongholds create core issues that can cause dysfunction in life and relationships. And that's usually about, the, that's where we start getting in touch with it. We have dysfunction in our life. Our dysfunction 
in marriage is a classic example. <laughs> you know, in our marriages, we live out our father issues. And we may not live them out in the adult world. When we go outside the house, all of us put on our adult persona. But when we come home, father, I mean, husbands and wives, home becomes a place where we become children again. Now, if we have childhood issues, those, those things come out. You can have a controlling, insecure husband living with a guilt-ridden, passive wife. And they live out a dysfunctional relationship, codependent, sometimes over-controlling, you know, you know, acquiescing, all because it's their father issues. Then when they get in touch with that, they have to begin to work out the dysfunctional relationship, and then it just goes back until you, you, you find yourself, oh, it's a father wound. And in fact, in a course I wrote on uh, marriage counseling, I have one whole, you know, one whole session that's on understanding your mate's father issues. Because if you understand their core issues, then you can understand a lot of the dynamics that will take place in marriage. But see, this is sort of a, a little in, involved teaching on father wounds. Because it'll help you. You might not, might, might not be able to identify your core one. But if you can identify dysfunction, or stronghold, or you know, anger, fear, you can start moving back to realizing there is a core issue that you want to deal with. Now, in these father distortions, I just listed you know, a couple of, like classic areas of distortion and wounding that can take place. Uh, there can be combinations of this, but this is just just general, different types of father distortions and wounds. Number one, the performance-oriented father gives love as a reward for performance in areas such as chores, education, sports, etc. This father type is common in our success-driven culture. This is the most common father type in the United States. You can go to other countries, like go to England. It's not performance orientation. The whole nation of England is dominated by a father type of passivity, of uh, you know either emotional abandonment or just just physically not there. The whole English type of person, but performance orientation is a major issue in our country. You know of uh, growing up with fathers that you'll. Uh, in many cases loved us they just want us they felt that the way for us to be a, a, a success was to sort of put the proverbial carrot out in front of us and that's not bad to help us become successful but if we feel that we have to get the carrot in order to get love from our father then it produces this type of problem and I talked about that like with my relationship with my dad the second category is the passive father and this was the type of father that Janet was talking about the passive father fails, he's passive in this sense because he fails to give affectionate love. Uh, and it can be as a result of not being home much, not being available when he was home, or simply being non-demonstrative. Fathers who traveled constantly were workaholics, alcoholics, divorced and left, died at an early age, 
or were emotionally stoic could fit into this category. Feelings of abandonment and guilt are a chronic problem here. The resultant perception of the father is that he is distant, non-caring, non-involved, non-demonstrative. The person here often has difficulty in getting in touch with the emotional reality of the father's love. And that's helpful to understand. The person who has, you know, been under the gun of performance orientation and maybe f experienced, you know, rejection when they failed to perform, right, that produces the sharp kind of pain that I was talking about in my life. The passive father can produce this dull kind of pain that Janet was talking about. And that part of that dull kind of pain is also the emotions that uh, have, have difficulty uh, getting in touch with their feelings. And so such a person, when they're in the presence of God, sometimes they have, it, it takes them a while to get in touch with the, the very feeling of God's presence being with them. But once you understand that, that maybe because my, my dad wasn't there, that's why it takes me a little bit more time to realize God is there, that's okay. Because you just begin to realize I'm built different because the way my father was. But the moment you begin to understand it, you can, you can proceed much, much more quickly. Like even after Janet shared her testimony, some of you who had had passive type fathers and maybe had some difficulty getting into the presence of the Father, moved along quite rapidly. Because once we get the new information and respond to it, we, we can move along uh, rapidly. Uh, then I have listed the punitive Father who gave pain through some degree of emotional, physical, or sexual abuse instead of love. And there are those that have experienced a punitive Father. There's been tangible, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. Now, those are all of those subjects, you know, can be very complicated, complex, and produce brokenness in a person's life that requires a lot of help in the healing process. And the experience of the Father's love is part of it in order for them to come to wholeness. Then, the pretty good father. There are some pretty good fathers. And often, uh, pretty good fathers can be second-generation Christians. You know, someone who had a, uh, uh, a poor relationship with their father, they become a Christian, and uh, they realize that they don't want to be like their father, and with the Lord's help, they start to change, and then they start raising their kids in a better way. So once a person becomes a Christian, and especially if they come to find the father's love in their life, it helps them become better fathers. And so there are those that have had what I would call pretty good fathers, although they are a minority. A pretty good father was basically loving, accepting, and motivating. And people with such fathers have an easier time in receiving the Father's love. It's, helped, it's easier for them to realize God the Father loves them. However, a movement on to full dependence on God the Father is often necessary. Even someone who's had a pretty good father needs to come to know the perfect love of God the Father. And 
over the years, I've watched people that have had r really loving fathers uh, become very successful in their lives because they have a wholeness in them that comes from that. There's a definite benefit from that. But then something will happen that the father will permit so that they disengage from their natural father enough so that they can move on to realize that they have to come to know the fullness of the father's love, which is, which is far superior to even the best love of a father. Like in my life, I want my boys to realize I love them. But I realize that even more than that, I want them to come to realize that God the Father loves them. And that all I'm doing is trying to help them come to find him. And what love they can see in me, I hope they see that in him. But I know my faults. And so I, will, I learned that I would tell them what I did. This is what I did. Please forgive me. Your heavenly Father would never treat you like that. But if you forgive me, he will touch that pain that I have just produced in your life. And right there, you'll find a greater experience of the Father's love. And this is so freeing for us as fathers. When we realize that we, where we have failed or where we continue to fail, we can, we can talk to our sons and daughters and say, that, even that wound that just happened that I did, you can bring that to God the Father and he's going to heal that. And in the process, you're going to experience more of his love in your life. Then I, I want to add this one point. There can be mother issues in our life where specific forgiveness for injury needs to be applied. We can have issues with our mothers. Now, that's not the focus of our time here. But in your early childhood, you can be wounded by your mother. And you need to forgive your mother for any way that she's wounded you. But you need to understand this. But the primary influence on father image still comes from the father. We get our primary image of who God is as father from our fathers, not from our mothers. Our mothers can wound us, and we need to forgive them. But we need to realize that the way our fathers treated us in our early childhood is the primary influence on our father image. And an example is you may have had a mother who, was, who injured you in those first three years, four years, on into life. And that hurts, and it needs to be healed. But so often, I'll ask someone who's had a, a painful relationship with their mother, where was your father in those early years or in those childhood years? And they'll say, well, he was there, but he didn't do anything. He let it happen. He was just sort of passive. He didn't, he didn't intervene. And see, there we have a passive father who's not there to protect or bring healing or love. And that produces an image of God the Father who is passive and not there, who allows you to be injured. So you, you have to deal with mother issues, but you also have to still, still deal with the father issues that may go along with them. And the father's love comes to heal us, both in the wounds with our father, but also to bring the nurturing dimension of his love to any wounds with our mother. 
See, the Bible lets us know that the Father has a love that has both masculine and feminine dimensions. In the Old Testament, his love is spoken of at times as being a mother's love. And so when the Father comes to love us, he can come to give us the love that was missing with our father, but he also can come to give us the love that was missing with our mother. And so we need his love to heal father wounds, and we need the father's love, that feminine aspect. Some people would call it a motherly love that flows out of God. That can touch us too. And so in that way, the core of our being is healed. And so we may have father issues in our life. And part of them are the, the distortions of the glasses. That's a mental thing that needs to be removed. Or we may have the issue of the heart. There, there's a wound that needs to be healed. And that's sort of the way it works. So how do you restore the true image of the father? Well, like Janet brought out, freedom from broken images of fatherhood is facilitated by forgiveness. This is where it starts. Forgiveness is done in the context of ongoing honoring of our fathers through respect, obedience, compassion, and speech. In other words, when we are dealing with our relationships with our fathers in any injury, it is done in the context of ongoing honoring of our fathers. It, it means we are still called to respect our fathers. You know, when we're younger, we were called to obey our fathers. When we're older and we realize that maybe they wounded us and we're relating, we have to have compassion for them and the way we speak about them. And we have to continue to honor our fathers in our speech. And like even when I talk about my relationship with my dad, my dad and I have talked about these things. And my dad knows that, you know, I share things about what happened in our relationship. And we're open about that. And so we do it in the ongoing context of honoring our fathers. Secondly, this forgiveness does require recognition of a father's sin in failing to represent God as a loving father, as well as the obvious sins of rejection, abandonment, and abuse. We have to recognize that our fathers may have sinned against us, in simply misrepresenting God as a loving father, because I believe fathers are responsible to represent him because they have his name. And if they fail to do that, we forgive them. Dad, I forgive you for not loving me the way God the Father loved me. And then we forgive them for any obvious sins. Like I have to forgive my dad for you know, putting my head in the stucco wall. You know, Janet had to forgive her, her dad for being gone, you know, being an alcoholic, specifically forgive him for those things. Forgiving is not blaming them for all the difficulties you have experienced in life. We're not talking about stopping here and saying, hey, my life is really messed up, and it's all my dad's fault. Dad, it's your fault. That's not what we're saying. Because we're saying that we need to forgive them for anything that they did to hurt us, but we have to assume responsibility for the way we respond to life as a result. We made choices on how we would live our life that could have been wrong. Those are our responsibility. 
And forgiveness is done primarily through prayer and then perhaps face to face. I think we begin in forgiving our fathers by going to the, the father, you know, in prayer and saying, Father, I, I realize that my dad injured me and I want to forgive him in the name of Jesus. And you do that. You forgive your father in the name of Jesus and you release them from what they did to you. Then, if possible, and if the Lord puts it together, then it, it, you can have a face-to-face -face discussion with them. In some situations, that's impossible. You know, if your father is gone, he's maybe passed away, or he will not talk to you uh, at, the, at the current time. But then there are times where a, a reconciliation can open up, and then you do. And that's the kind of thing that happened with me. I forgave my dad, first of all, between the Lord and I, and then we, over the years, we began to talk about things, and I, and I had to ask his forgiveness for rebelling against him, and, and then he would speak, you know, I'd tell him what happened to, to me, and, and we'd be reconciled. And as Janet mentioned, forgiveness may require repentance for believing a false perception of God as Father. In other words, part of it is also saying, Father, forgive me for believing that you were like that. When we forgive our fathers and ask God to forgive us for a false perception, forgiveness frees us from the spirit of our fathers to receive the spirit of the Father. Once we've processed forgiveness, then we can receive healing for the father wound. Because this is part of receiving healing, is forgiving, and then we have a greater experience of the Father healing the wound in our life. How do we heal the Father wound in our life? Well, it begins by allowing the core emotional pain of historical Father wounds to surface. You know, we have to, we have to sort of put ourselves in an environment that begins to push up the core. And when it starts coming up, we have to cooperate with that process. Because these wounds can come up and they can be painful. And for most of us, when pain starts to surface, we want to push it back down. Because we don't, we don't want to deal with it because we don't know how to deal with it. It just hurts too bad. But our hope is this. When any of our pain comes up, you see, the pain of rejection, the pain of abandonment, the, the, the guilt and shame, when these things come up, it's very painful for us. But if we know that God our Father can touch us with his love and heal that and take it away and change us, then we have the hope of letting it come up. And that's why in conference settings like this where we feel the presence of the Father, we, we, have, we, we sort of are uh, more, we're not as afraid to let the pain come up. Because the moment some of that pain comes up and we feel the Father touch it, his compassion and love touch it, and we feel that flow of love. It's like a bittersweet thing. The pain is flowing out, but the love is coming in, and we feel the relief of it. Then we say, I can, I can let my pain come up. I don't need to be afraid of it because the Father's love will find me at that point. And now whenever I feel pain come up, I just let it come up, you know. I cooperate with it because I know it will come to the surface, and the Father's love will take it away, and I'll get through it, and I'll be better for it. We have to avoid strong denial mechanisms in facing father issues. There's something in us at a core level that doesn't want to recognize 
a father issue because in some ways it says my father didn't love me the way I thought he did and we do not want to deal with that but we begin to realize how much our father loves us and he will take the place of that missing love and we cooperate with it and we appropriate the inbreaking love of the father to bring healing release from core pain and I call this e moments this is little term having an e moment with the father and an e moment is when something of the core of my pain comes up and it gets sort of pregnant and it hurts a little bit but simultaneously when the emotion of that pain comes up the father's love comes down the phileo love comes down that demonstrated natural affection comes down and touches it simultaneously then I have an emotional burst it may be just a small thing an emotional moment when I feel my pain but I feel his love and I know that this was a moment of his his love touching the core of my being and those those e moments are moments of experiencing the father's love and once we have a little one once we get a little one we know how it works and we begin to process all the other moments of our life and this is a process often it can it can take time to process these core issues of our life sometimes a big bubble will come to the surface and then but there can be lots of little ones little memories that start coming up in each one when it comes up we have to deal with it in the same way and in the process we have to adjust our relationships with our natural fathers to facilitate release and reconciliation the ultimate thing is that we will be even restored to our natural fathers the the great thing would be for us all to find the father's love together and that's exactly what happened with me and my dad as the years went by I was able to be loving to my father and lead him to Jesus pray for his healing you know talk to him about his his life talk about the father's love and in our lives became reconciled and one of my greatest experiences of the father's love was when I was there when my father passed away and I was able to pray the Our Father over him and tell him how much the father loved him in in the final days he was able to verbalize for the first time in his life those words in the last week of his life in a moment he said to me called me up on the phone and said Eddie I love you and I'll do whatever you say and it was two days later that I was able to bless him with the Our Father and he passed away and that is the beautiful way the Father works to bring us all to reconciliation in our life